So here we are. We're, we're in the second week of our healthy series. And, and for this week, this week we're going to start with, remember, the, the, well, first we'll back up a step. Healthy, discovering the connection between faith and health. The premise of this series is that there is a connection between our faith and our health. And so through, the, through these weeks, we're, we're tackling deep theological issues and concepts that connect you, God, and your body. Right. Now, I, I, I'll say this at the beginning of pretty much every one of the sermons. I know I am not in the best of shape or in the best of health. I've got my own issues. So the truth is, I'm struggling and wrestling through a lot of this stuff along with you. I would love to, I would love to preach this sermon on the other side of being unhealthy, and hopefully that day will come. But for now, I'm walking this journey with you in all of my successes and all of my failures. So, so for most of my overweight adult life, which has been most of my adult life, so for most of my adult life, honestly, I have not thought much about faith and health. It just has not been a part of my thinking. If you had asked me, um, does God care about your health? I would have been like, I don't know. I've never thought about it before because I had it. But then I first began to think about this idea and I first began to think about this concept that my health impacted me and my ministry and stuff when we launched River Life. So we launched back in September of 2014, so we're, we're, we're creeping up on our three-year anniversary here, and we started meeting at a community center in Dayton's Bluff. Now here's a picture of, of what the auditorium at the Dayton's Bluff Community Center looked like. Now you can see kind of cool theater seating, but there was no entryway into the stage. There was no loading dock, there was nothing, which meant we carried all of this and everything back in the sound booth, up and down those steps <laughs> every Sunday. During the first preview service, we did this, and, 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 and we like a, a great AV and music experience, so we've got a lot of gear. After the first preview service in July, and after loading everything in, I, I got down literally, I was like, <sighs> Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I was so, I brought a whole change of clothes because I just sweated through my clothes. It was exhausted. And I had one thought in between gasping of breaths. I was like, I've got to get in better shape. Because, and here's the thing, because my health had a direct, immediate impact on my ministry, my role as a pastor. My health was negatively impacted. I, like, I had to rest so I, could, so I could compose complete sentences come sermon time. And that was the first time I was like, wow, my health does impact me, and particularly my ministry and my faith. So that was the first time. That was the first time that it had crossed my mind. So what about you? Do you think much about your faith and your health? So in your mind, are they connected? Are they disconnected? Where are they for you? And so, so we'll start with the first one is, do you believe that God cares about your health? Because it never crossed my mind for years. 
And maybe prior to this series, it's never crossed your mind either. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do I believe that God cares about my health? Then the second question you want to ask yourself is, if he does care, why does he care? Why does God care about our health? Because there are a lot of reasons you can care about your health. And caring for your health or your body or eating right and exercising, that, 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 those are really popular things nowadays. In fact, Instagram alone can give you enough motivational quotes to last you an entire year of motivational quotes to get you exercising. Uh, all over the place. Okay? But why? Why do you care about your health if that is on your mind? Why does God care about our health? So, Because there are lots of reasons we can care about our health. Okay? It can be you want to look good. Maybe you want to look good for yourself. Maybe you want to look good for others. Maybe you want to look good for the Facebook likes. Maybe it's part of your identity. And, and, and you, you receive from people because you're the one who works out. You're the one who, well, no one looks at me and sees a marathoner, but so, so I'm a little safe on that one. But maybe it's part of your identity and you feel that you would lose something if you started to gain some weight. People might not be as complimentary toward you. Okay? Or maybe it's you've been to the doctor and they've given you the diagnosis whether it's diabetes or gout or high blood pressure. And they've given you and say, and the doctor sat you down and be like, you need to make some changes because you're on a pretty dangerous path. Or maybe you just like the feeling of being healthier. I remember when I was at my heaviest, my feet would hurt all the time. And that kind of sucked. So maybe you like you like your clothes feel fitting a little better and you don't want to have to go buy another set of clothes. Or maybe, quite simply, you just want to look better naked. Okay? Who knows? Look good naked. There you go. So there, there, some of those are great reasons to care about your health. Some of them, mm, not so great. But it brings us back to this question of why does God care about our health? Why does God care about our health? Because when we die, our souls go up to heaven and our bodies just become worm food. So really, is it, does it really matter? Why does God care about our health? Well, today we're going to look at probably the single best passage in all of Scripture about why God cares about our health. Why does God care about our health? And this is, um, so th this is a passage where it's a part of a letter written to a group of people, and written to a church. And now this is, this is one of the defining passages about the body. In theological terms, it's called anthropology. It's, it's not anthropology like go live in Africa and study the people. It's anthropology as in the nature of human beings. This is one of the definitive passages about the body. And it has nothing to do with health. It actually is all about sex. So you're getting a little bit of a twofer today. You're getting a sermon on sex and on health. 
Okay. So exactly, yeah. So whichever you need a little bit of, of guidance and conviction and, and a, a little bit of kicking from God, you're in the right place for the two for today. Okay. So it actually has nothing to do about health. It is all about sex. And so as we go through, I'm going to be talking about that because that's the focus of the passage. But it has some incredible applications and transferability from sexual sin and sexual health to physical health. Okay, so this, this book was written to a group of Christians who were involved with a whole lot of really terrible kind of abuses of their body. Okay? They were eating way too much when they went out. They were drinking way too much at parties. And they were involved in all kinds of sex outside of marriage. Now, it, I mean, that's good to hear. That's stuff that we would never do, right? <laughs> yeah, things don't change in 2,000 years much. Okay? And so here, the, and Paul, the, so it's written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul even addresses a couple quotes that these people kind of lived by. You can think of them as these are the first century Instagram quotes that they would be sharing on their wall. You know, they break out a stone tablet, carve out an Instagram quote, and hang it on their wall, okay? So, so for, here's the first one, is there was a saying, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. And, and, and this group of Christians was taking this idea of being free in Christ, okay? Freedom in Christ to the extreme, to say, we can do anything. So that's one quote that was going around the church back then. There's a second quote going around the church back then. Here it is. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Basically what they're saying, our bodies are going into the ground anyway, so let's eat. <laughs> Let's drink. Let's Netflix flix and chill. Okay? That was the thought. And, and what's amazing about this, this is, is that we don't see many people kind of going around saying, I can do anything I want. But you look at their life, you look at your life, and maybe that one is still sitting inside you somewhere. But this one, this one is essentially saying, let's live it up. We got one life to live, so let's get the most out of it. And I've heard that that is still alive and well. I've heard that at weddings. Um, I've heard that from people. We got one life to live, so we've got to get the most out of it. We've got, we've got, whether it's career, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's success, cars, houses, money, whatever. Okay? That's kind of their food equivalency of that quote. So let's see how Paul addresses these two kind of first century Instagram quotes. Now, this is out of 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to follow it, you can read along. You can read up on the screen, pull out your app. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to start at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, so we'll pause there. So there, there's their statement. I have the right to do anything. That's their perception of freedom in Christ. Okay? And if you notice in this, Paul doesn't disagree with them. 
Notice he doesn't say you don't have the right to do anything. He doesn't disagree. But what he does do is he counters with the argument first, okay, you can do anything, but everything's not beneficial to you. Everything's not beneficial. And then he turns around and, and counters the second one. I can do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And, that, and so first, let, let's look at that first one, that, that idea of not everything is beneficial. Quite simply, just because you can do something does not mean you should do something. And that's what Paul is trying to tell these people. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us. We, li- we live in a world right now of virtually unbridled freedom. And Paul, I think, is speaking to us from a couple thousand years back. And God is speaking to us saying, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Because not everything's beneficial. We certainly know that with food. (laughs) That's kind of a no-brainer. Just because you can eat something doesn't necessarily mean you should be eating it. Let's go to his second idea there. The second idea is I will not be mastered by anything. Here, Paul is fundamentally trying to change their view of freedom. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. Because if what you're doing you have to do, you're not free. If you are a slave to what you eat, what you drink, the attention you need, you're not free. So, yeah. So, around River Life, for instance, okay? Um, We don't make a big deal. You're not going to find me standing up here preaching against drinking. Now, your parents' church, if your parents go to church, you might experience something like that. Okay? I don't believe that's what the Bible says. Uh, And you're not going to hear me preaching on that. So therefore, let's drink. (laughs) And I know because I've sat across the table from some of you. You may be free to drink, but you are not free from drinking. Because you have to go out Thursday night. Hit the Thursday happy hour. Maybe hit the Wednesday happy hour. Go out after work on Friday. Go to the house party on Saturday. Okay? And the truth is, whether that's drinking, whether that's eating, there are things that we are compelled to do. We can't, in a sense, anything you can't quit, you're mastered by, and you're not free. So that's Paul's first. He's trying to change their view of what freedom is. Next, let's continue. Okay, he says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So this is their, this is the equivalent of their saying of eat, drink, and be merry. Or I guess it'd be a little more accurate to say eat, drink, and hook up. Because We're going to die. This is our life, man, so we've got to live it up. That's what they're saying. And now Paul counters. He counters that argument to say the body was not made for sexual immorality. 
Now that word sexual immorality, that's a single word in Greek, and it's an all-encompassing word. It, it, so if you ever wonder, like, if you're single or if you can remember when you were single and that whole question of, like, how far is too far, like, what can I do with my boyfriend or girlfriend and still be okay, all of that, okay. So here's quite simply, this word in Greek is an all-encompassing word that covers pretty much anything any sexual behavior, activity, even thinking, but any sexual behavior activity that is, that is outside committed monogamous heterosexual marriage. So that's what this word means. Anything outside that. And Paul's saying the body is not made for that. The body is not made for that. And so, th so they have the saying of the stomach for food and the food for stomach. And Paul flips it around. No, 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 no. The body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And that's, that's how he, he sets this up of what the body is supposed to be used for. Now, from here on out, he's going to give four and a half reasons why the body matters. Now, I know you're wondering, how do you have half a reason? We'll get to it, okay? So four and a half reasons of why God cares about our body. So let's hit through them. First, he says, by his power, referring to Jesus Christ, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So the first reason why our bodies matter our bodies matter to God because God is going to resurrect our bodies. Our bodies don't just become worm food. And I don't know how this is going to work, but the scripture is very clear that God resurrects our current bodies. Again, how that works, I don't know. But, the, but Scripture is pretty clear on it. God resurrects our bodies. Now, there's also talk about we will receive a new body and kind of a restored body. So whatever, whatever this thing is meant to be by God, he will restore it. But we will not be kind of bodiless, like angels kind of floating around the clouds. No, like heaven or hell will be a physical existence. And we will have physical bodies. So th that's Paul's first point. Your body matters enough that God's going to resurrect it. He's, just, he's not just going to start fresh. He's going to resurrect your, by our bodies. So, that, so that's the first argument. Your body matters to God because God is going to resurrect it. Second, let's go to the next verse. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Okay, now, before we go too much on this, I, I have to explain a couple words here. First, is your bodies are members of Christ themselves, okay? Th that's kind of a strange word. I, you don't typically hear that in sentences these days, okay? But an easier translation of that is think of it as limbs or body parts. So let me reread re that. Do you know that your bodies are body parts of Christ's body himself? Shall I take then the body parts of Christ and unite them with the body parts of a prostitute? That's basically what this is saying. Okay? And, and, so for, and then prostitutes. Okay, let, let's explain this. So, so this was the city of Corinth. It was a 
big, t- it, was like, it was like a New York of, of Greece. Very cosmopolitan, very ahead of their time. It, it was a port city, which always meant a whole lot of money going on. And you could go there and get anything you want. That's pretty, you, you go to New York, you, whatever your weirdness is, you could find it in New York, okay? And even more so in L.A. So, the, and so here's Paul in the city of Corinth talking about these prostitutes. So there were two main types of prostitutes in Corinth. So first were what are known as temple prostitutes. These were prostitutes that were, were at the temples of the Greek gods and goddesses, and part of your worship of that god or goddess was sex with a female or a male prostitute. So that was the first type of prostitute. The other type of prostitute that was fairly common there were party prostitutes. Now, we don't really have temple prostitutes around the U.S., but we have the NBA, so we have party prostitutes. So that, that's what that was like. There we go. It took, took you a sec to figure that one out. There. Yeah, and so, so they had these, and so the, the, the Corinthians would throw these big parties. And as we look at this passage, it's fairly safe to say that Paul was directing this teaching toward the upper class. So there's a little bit of class and, and socioeconomic status thing going on here. That the upper class, the wealthy Corinthians, were throwing these lavish parties with all kinds of food, crazy amounts of food, okay? Crazy amounts of drink. Wine, they also had beer, uh, but wine was kind of the drink of choice. And then crazy amounts of sex at these parties. So that's what Paul is preaching against here, okay? So, so then he explains this unite with a prostitute language. What does that really mean? He goes on. Do you, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that the two shall become one, one flesh. But whoever was, is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So, so Paul here pulls back from Genesis. One of the fundamental, this, this, this verse here, the, the God creates two and uh, creates one flesh. This is pretty much the defining verse on marriage, what marriage is about. I, I, I quote it every, mar- every wedding I do because it's fundamental to the, the understanding of what happens in marriage. And part of that coming together, two separate people coming together as one flesh, is that's what happens in sex, literally and metaphorically. So Paul went on to explain here what that means to unite with a prostitute. And the truth is, that's the same thing that happens when you unite with your boyfriend or girlfriend or someone who's not your husband or your wife. The same thing. Sex joins people in a way that nothing else in existence does. It unites two people in deep spiritual and mystical ways, stuff we can't even begin to understand. Paul himself described marriage as a mystical union. And so, so the logic that Paul is making here is that if you're a Christian, your body parts are part of Jesus' body parts. And if you go connect your body parts to somebody else's body parts who isn't your husband or your wife, 
you're connecting Jesus' body parts to that same sin. Should we do that? Never. Never should we do that. We like to think that, I mean, I, and often back in my youth ministry days, talking with dating couples and stuff, that, that people like to think that sex is just between them, but it's not. That if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, sex is never just between you and the other person because you are a part of Christ. Your body is a part of Christ's body. So he, then he summarizes, as Paul often does, he summarizes his sex argument here. And here it is. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So this, remember the four and a half reasons? This is sort of the half reason. That, so Paul talks about this idea that sex is sinning against your own body. And I know he says that all other sins are outside the body, um, but, but I'm giving it a half reason because I think how we eat, how we exercise, how we take care of our body can also be a little bit of a sin against our own body. I'm not prepared to make it a full reason because Paul is saying that only sex, sex is unique. But, I, but I'm fairly sure that Paul wasn't thinking about high blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes when he was writing this. So I think it's possible that we can sin against our own body when we don't take care of our health. And for a guy who hasn't taken care of his health for more years than he has, that's a pretty heavy statement to say. That's a pretty heavy thing to kind of pill to swallow. So, so then he continues. He continues on with another reason. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Temple of the whole, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse has been misused tremendously. I think my favorite one was someone who was preaching against tattoos, and they said that your body's a, holy, a temple of the Holy Spirit, so just like you wouldn't graffiti your church, you shouldn't get a tattoo. Terrible exegesis, by the way. If your parent, if your mom or dad ever have used that against you, terrible interpretation, okay? There are much better passages around Scripture to challenge tattoos. Uh, this is not one of them, okay? But... It talks about that our body is special. Our body, and this is what we, we need to remember out of this. Our body is more than just a bag of water. That's, that's kind of biologically, that's more or less what we are. We're a bag of water contained in flesh. Okay? But, but God, to God, and because God is our creator, we are so much more than that. So this, this reference, our body is a temple, to understand this, you have to understand a little bit of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, when, when God called the Israelites together, he called them out of e Egypt, let my people go, Moses, the water party and all of that, okay? You watch the cartoon? Good, okay. So from that, as they were wandering through the desert, they, they had a tent that served as their church. It was called the tabernacle. And there was a room, there was a big room in the tent, and then in there, there was a smaller room. Inside that was a smaller room. And inside that was a much smaller room. 
And that room was considered the most holy place because God actually lived there. God came down in a cloud and resided in the most holy place of the tabernacle. Then once the Israelites had land, they built a temple. And the temple had a big room and a smaller room and a smaller room and then a smaller room. And that was the most holy place. And God lived there. Not like, oh, God lives in my heart. No, no, no. God actually resided there. He came down in a cloud, in a cloud, in a pillar of fire. He came down to reside there. So the Israelites would understand what it meant that our body is a temple, which means God lives in us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God lives in you. And, and again, I'm not talking about, oh, accept Jesus into my, into my heart. God lives in me. No, no. God actually lives in you. There is something in you that is spiritual and mystical that is God. And it is not you. And so God says your body matters because God lives in you. That's his third reason. Fourth reason, fourth reason for why our bodies matter is this. Lastly, he says, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We don't own our bodies. Which, by the way, on the topic of tattoos, this is actually a much better verse against tattoos. If you want to make a biblical argument against tattoos, like, and, and I've actually done this. Like someone who wants to get a tattoo again back in my youth men days, and I would ask them, have you gotten God's permission? I don't ask if they get their parents' permission. And I ask them, have you gotten God's permission? And they're like, why? It's my body. Actually, no, it's not. Our bodies aren't our own. And so the truth is, man, when we neglect our bodies, when I neglect my body, I am actually damaging God's property. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So next week, I'm calling next week, breaking my neighbor's rake. So next week, we're going to talk more about this. But here it is. It's right here in black and white. We were bought with a price. And that language, bought with a price, that's, that's servant language. So back then, you, you could purchase a servant. They, they would then join, their, join your household, become a part of your household, and serve inside, outside, all of that. Okay? Um, but that's the language here. So the unfortunate, harsh, very disconcerting reality for, for all of us who are Christ followers your body is not your own. You are not the one who gets to make decisions about your body. I am not the one who gets to make decisions about my body. Because God bought me. He saved me from a miserable 16-year-old life of loneliness and depression. And he bought me. And I now belong to his household. And I'm not free to make whatever decisions I want to make. So this is, this is a pretty sobering thought. If you think about neglecting your health, um, this is what, out of these four, this is the one that kind of hit me the most over these last few years as I've been trying to get healthier 
is it's not my body. So, he, he's gone through these four, four reasons, and then he summarizes. He summarizes with the master statement, and here it is. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, remember what I like to say? Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, figure out what it's there for. Here, yeah, like that, there. Here, what it's there for, it's to say, because of all of these reasons, honor God with your bodies. And there were four, the four big ones, we'll kind of set aside the half, but the four big ones here. God is going to resurrect your body. Your body is part of God's body. Excuse me, Christ's body. Your, your body is part of Christ's body. God lives in your body, and God owns your body. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's a sobering thought when we think about our health. And that's where, where I want to shift this away from sex and on to health. Why, if you are striving to get healthier, whether it's you're, you want to lose some weight, you're trying to exercise more, eat better, whatever, why is it that you're doing it? And the best answer, and something I'm still, I still haven't quite figured out well, the best answer is I want to get healthy because my body matters to God. And my body matters to God because he's going to resurrect it. My body is part of Christ's body. Anything I do with or to my body, I am doing with or to Christ's body. God lives in my body and God owns my body. So with your health, what does it look like to honor God with your body? That's his big command. That's his summary statement. What does it look like to honor God with your body? So my encouragement to you is you've got, you've got six days ahead of you until we gather again. I've got six days ahead of me. What does it look like to honor God with your body? What do you need to obey that God is already talking at you in your head right now and in your heart? God is speaking to you about something you need to do differently, something I need to do differently. So for me, what it is is, and this is the thing I've been ignoring for months and months and months. Um, over my, if you were here two weeks ago, you, you, you heard a little bit about my up and down weight loss journey over the years. And the single most successful thing I have ever done in losing weight has been logging my food. And research shows it, it's whether you do it on paper or like most of us probably use an app. I used an app and every time, every time I have lost a significant amount of weight, it was when I was tracking my food. I'm not tracking my food these days. And I kind of kicking myself in the butt for it. Um, but I sit there and I, and I make excuses and I'm busy. It's hard. Life's difficult. I got, I got more things to put my mind energy to. But for me, this is what I have been ignoring for months. God saying to me, 
You want to honor me with your body? Eat better. Eat, be more intentional what you, you eat. I'm a very unintentional eater. Uh, and if you are too, you know what that means. You just go and grab whatever's around and uh, grab the box, the bag, the fridge, whatever. Just eat it. <laughs> so so that, as I was preparing this sermon, that's what was really weighing on me was honoring God. Like, like I'm back to exercise. I'm back to running, which is great. And I'm already down a few pounds, haven't started running again, which was good. But if I really want to honor God with my body, I need to make some better eating choices. So for me, that means it's time to pull my app up again. Kind of proverbially dust it off and, <laughs> and get back to logging my food. So what is it for you? What is it for you that you need to do to honor God with your body? And if you ever forget why you're doing this, reread 1 Corinthians 6. Because Paul makes a pretty good case for us to honor God.